0: we uh, for years before we ever visited here we heard about this church I doubt if there's a fundamental Baptist across America that hasn't heard about this church and the way that God uh, miraculously uh, supplied the needs and the funds to get it started and so it's a real joy for us to be here it's kind of a, a special treat for us now you might not think so but going to New York City is a big deal. And uh, it's only been a few times in our life that we've been here. My sister used to teach school in the Bronx, and she lived here for, she lived in, uh, she finally moved over to New Jersey. She started out in uh, upstate New York. What's the name of that? White, White Plains, Peekskill area. And then she finally uh, raised her kids over in uh, New Jersey and became a school uh, principal for one of the vocational schools over there. And they labored there 30 years and her husband worked as a social worker in New York for 30 years, and then they pulled up stakes and moved to Puerto Rico, where they work harder now than they did, at least he does, she does. She said, I didn't come here to work, but they bought a coffee plantation down there. And uh, so that's where we're going to spend Christmas. We uh, uh, Not this year, last year we spent Christmas there, and then right after Christmas we're going to go and visit with them uh, again. And it's, uh, it's so it's a delight to be here. And uh, your pastor has been a great uh, help to me and many other people, but uh, he's helping our homemade uh, uh, shows to look like they had some expertise involved, and we're certainly thankful for that and certainly thankful for the good accommodations. Again, you remember last time I was here, my voice was going out. I just barely got the last message in before it seemed like it was just about gone, and so... I'm thankful tonight that that I don't think that's going to be a problem, and uh, <clears throat> we've enjoyed visiting with the pastor and his uh, family. It's quite an adventure. Every day is a new experience, <laughs> and uh, it's quite an adventure. And we we like adventures. I'm glad to be saved tonight, aren't you? <clears throat> I hope that you'll be a responsive uh, group because uh, you know we we come to church. I. I, I The pastor and I were talking, we don't go to church out of uh, obligation, although there is some obligation. We don't go to church uh, for somebody else's benefit. We go because we're saved people and we love God. And we go to worship the Lord, no matter what else happens to us, whether the music blesses our heart or whether uh, we're participating in the offering or whether we get to uh, speak or whatever. We go basically because of Him. It's all about Him. It's not about us. And uh, what a difference He's made in, in our lives. Those of us that have been uh, saved, He's made a tremendous uh, difference. Before I was a Christian, I really didn't know what compassion was. And I didn't know what love was. I didn't, know, uh, didn't receive much of it and certainly didn't have any of it to give out. And it wasn't until I learned from God's Word what those things were about that I was able to find out uh, what that is and then how to enjoy it and experience it and perhaps even share it with other people. I'd like for you to open your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 2. How could I speak this week without speaking on the subject of Mary's baby? But it's not just Mary's baby that I want to talk about tonight. Um, I want to talk to you about, uh, I've titled this message, it's called Snapshots of the Son of God. Many of you, no doubt, have, uh, all of us do. We had, a, we had a carpenter come to our house not long ago. We'd been staying in Oklahoma for about three years, driving back and forth. Our daughter had lived in our house for a while with her family, taking care of it, and then she moved out. And when she moved out, the house was kind of barren. I had a carpenter come. We were back in it, and I, came, and I had a carpenter come and do some repairs. And he said, you know what I noticed about your house? I said, what? He said, there's no pictures anywhere. He said, are you ashamed of your family? He said, there's no pictures of anybody in this house. And I got to thinking about it. So we certainly do have pictures, but because my daughter was there for a while and then we've been busy, you know, we just never gave it a thought to uh, put the pictures back up or put new pictures up. So we've, we've taken care of some of that. But you know, everybody likes to show pictures, especially of their grandbabies. And then, picture, we have a great-grandson, and, uh, you know, he got his first haircut recently, and my, we sent that picture to my son, and he said, did you uh, do that yourself? I said, no, they paid fourteen ninety-five for that haircut, <laughs> and it was all spiked up in the middle, and, you know, it didn't look like it needed a professional job to do that, but, uh, but we, like, uh, we like babies, don't we? And we like to enjoy them. And, uh, you know, the Bible, uh, we have a rich heritage in our families, usually photographs. In fact, those are some of the most tre- uh, pr- uh, treasured things that people have are their photographs. That's what they want to get out of their house if it's going to catch on fires. Get the photographs, get the family albums, and, of course, uh, documents and so forth, but pictures which cannot be replaced. And uh, so God's given us word pictures, and I'm so glad for the language of the Word of God that makes, uh, makes us to understand the stages in life of our Savior. You know, we don't worship a baby, though he was God even when he was a baby. And we don't worship a little boy. But there are stages in his life that help us to appreciate who he is and how he came and why he came. And so I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. There are some word pictures here that we want to pick up on because we want to look at the ongoing saga of what God wants us to see when He says, Behold. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, tonight we thank you for these folks who came out to worship the Lord with us tonight. We pray that you bless their hearts and Lord, we pray that you'll open our understandings as we look at the scripture we pray that you'll bless us and help us to grow some tonight but whether we grow or not lord help us to uh, fellowship one with another but most of all help us to worship him and uh, we'll thank you for it in jesus name amen now i was going to share i want to share something with you that i I just uh, cut out of a magazine recently in june 2004 uh, the Internet giant Google made an announcement that marked the hypothesis of the email age. Uh, they were going to offer users unlimited storage, and uh, this would mean that uh, a group of 450,000 machines scattered across the United States like underground missile bunkers, uh, you could store emails, more emails than there are blades of grass in, in Kansas. That's a lot of emails, isn't it? And this is beyond, it's in fact, uh, unprecedented. It is superhuman. It's, uh, and someone said, is God's inbox that big? Can you imagine how many uh, messages that God gets on a daily basis? And prior to this ele- electronic age, dictators and kings didn't have such uh, armories of, uh, of letters and boxes full of mail but their capacity is dwarfed by the Herculean arms of an everyday individual's email box and what an, a busy individual needs in this industrial strength capability for his con, uh, his uh, uh, correspondence to it. Why do we need that much? In fact, this article goes on to say, can the brain even comprehend this much information? I don't think mine can. This humming and buzzing and megalopolis of uh, information and... Uh, Send and receive and send and receive. And uh, they say the the human brain is probably not wired to take that much. But listen to this. The oldest love poem in the world that's been found, and of course we all think of poetry around Christmas time and then a, a coming in February, the Valentine's Day, we think of writing poems. I used to write some poems, but mine were all very simple like Rosa Red, violet Blue, and you know... Sugar is sweet, that's why I love you, or, you know, simple things. Not very original. But the oldest love poem in the world uh, is behind glass in a case at the Museum of the Ancient Orient in Istanbul, Turkey. It was placed on display on Valentine's Day in 2006. It's carved in cuneiform. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's the printing of... Uh, Uh, in hieroglyphics by those that were of the Arab world, Egyptians and so forth, uh, scratched into mud plates. Uh, And it's a foreign language to us. It's just cuneiform. It's kind of word pictures in a foreign language. And um, uh, it rests on a clay tablet the size of a piece of toast. This original uh, love poem, the oldest love poem in the world, The script is as small as bird tracks. And it says this, Bridegroom, you have taken pleasure of me. And the poet who is now a ghost lost to time pleads in uh, the Sumerian language, You have captivated me. Let me stand trembling before you. That's not much better poetry than I could write. Certainly has lasted longer than mine have. Love may not be forever, this article says, but this expression of it has outlasted swords forged by fire, cities designed by the finest architects and the largest machine ever to fly and the most titanic boat ever to sail. To write his verse, the poet would would have to compose the lines in his head or recite them to a friend. Then he would have molded the clay tablet and slowly but deliberately carved his verse into it with a reed staff before the clay hardened. Finally, he would have dried the poem in the sun and waited another day for it to cool. Then it could be delivered to his beloved by hand. That's for just a two-little-sentence poem. It would take literally days to get it written, two sentences, and then delivered to the one he loved. But that piece has lasted, outlasted any other, uh, uh, most all materials that have ever been printed and most all machines that have ever been used it still stands as the oldest love poem ever written and that's an interesting thing i'll come back to that in just a moment we notice in verse 10 and 11 of luke chapter 2 uh, the bible says behold uh, fear not for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be unto all people now that's been an off repeated message, almost everybody that knows anything about the Bible knows that verse, and it says uh, uh, in verse number eleven, "For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord." So all through the Bible, God is pointing to this day. It's a day of great expectation, and uh, this is the first time that uh, the focus on that promised Savior. Uh, was coming to fruition and uh, isaiah predicted uh, 800 years before he was born it says in isaiah 7 14, the lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin or look a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." isaiah chapter 9 he said for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I love to tell the story about two little boys that were at the water fountain in the grade school, and of course all the other children were making fun of one because he was adopted, and they constantly poked at him and made fun and made uh, irreverent uh, uh, suggestions about where he came from and who his family really was and his parents didn't really want him. They were just trying to help him out. And, and uh, <clears throat> he finally had enough of it and he got angry and he said, well, he said, uh, he said, my parents chose me. He said, your parents had to take who they got. I'm glad to be chosen by God. I certainly didn't deserve to be in the family of God. There's nothing that I ever did nor nothing that I ever knew or nothing that I ever practiced. that made me worthy to be called a child of God. And it was a long time uh, before I really understood how much God loved me. And that's the message of Christmas. And that's what all these uh, snapshots of the Savior are about. God has a love message for the world. And it says, I love you. I love you. I don't know how many times he has to say it. I don't know how many ways he has to say it. But we need to understand the message of God's word is that God loves us and uh, like that uh, little boy undeserved uh, we have so much just by divine grace that we didn't deserve we couldn't have purchased and we don't uh, have any way to measure up to it or or live up to the expectations without his great grace and help God loves us and he chose us in him before the foundation of the world I'm glad to be saved. I'm glad that God included me in his family. In some ways, to be honest with you, when I think rationally, which is not all the time, but I'm thankful that I'm not greatly gifted or super wealthy or uh, somehow uh, greatly enhanced uh, in body or mind because the people that I've known that are like that often forget that it's only by God's grace that they're in his family. It's not by their works of righteousness which they have done. It's not any good thing that comes from them that makes them part of God's family. It's simply because he chose us and said, I love you. I want you to come to me. And when you come to me and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be saved. And there's nothing that I could have done that would have made me merit God's love gift to me. And so I'm thankful just to be who I am and that God knows who I am And he loves me for his own purpose, not for my purpose, for his own purpose and glory. So first of all, we see Behold the Baby. When we look at our family albums, isn't that where we go? We say, well, let's start at the beginning. And the person sitting there saying, okay. Now, that'd be tough in this family, wouldn't it? We want to look at the baby pictures of every baby and follow them all through life. That'd be a long night and thankfully, I think they've got it all on video mostly here. So, But that's what happens, you know. We we'll say, well, let's show our wedding pictures. And so you do that, and they say, is that really you? That doesn't look like you. And uh, usually they'll say, oh, you weren't fat then or, you know, something like that. And, and so we go all the way back, and we look at the baby pictures. And the next thing we do, if, um, and the Lord gave us another snapshot 12 years later, the Lord, we didn't hear much about him. We didn't hear anything about his life or what he did uh, for 12 years. Now, in Rhode Island, uh, the Catholic tradition is that when he was a little boy, when people made fun of him, they, he turned them into doves and they flew away. But I didn't read that in the Word of God. In fact, I didn't read anything about his life from the time he was born uh, until he was 12 years old. If you look with me in... Uh, and look at this other uh, snapshot in Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 49, the Bible says here, and he said unto him, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? This is when uh, they went to the temple and, and uh, uh, his mother said, uh, uh, son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father... and..." And, and I have sought the sorrowing. They, uh, they thought he had been lost or uh, kidnapped. And uh, he said to them, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Wouldn't it have been good if from 12 years old, uh, it would have saved me a lot of grief in life, if at the age of 12 years old I, understand, I understood that God loved me and had purpose for my life and I must be about his business. Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. Wouldn't it be good if teenagers today and young people today would say, my father loves me and I must be about his business. I do always those things that please him. That's a good way to start a life, isn't it? That's what I said. That's a good way to start a life, isn't it? This is interactive here. You know, we're both involved in this. And so, and so behold, the father's son. And this speaks of obedience, and uh, certainly, a good example for us. Uh, Christ is not just a good example, but it is an example in his childhood life that he was obedient to his father and he was sensitive to his father's will uh, for him and Then we notice another snapshot of him. It comes thirty when he 's thirty years old, from twelve to thirty uh, what 's that eighteen years later we don 't hear anything about him for eighteen years and then in john chapter uh, John chapter one and verse twenty nine It says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away uh, the sin of the world. So this doesn't speak about his obedience or about uh, his uh, uh, miraculous birth. It speaks about uh, the sacrificial lamb. And they were familiar with this term, the Lamb of God, because they knew about the Paschal Lamb in the Old Testament, which was offered by each Hebrew family to... uh, Mark uh, their, uh, their, uh, their belief in uh, the coming Messiah and they, of course, in their deliverance from, uh, uh, from bondage in Israel, they, uh, they, they put the blood of a lamb on the two doorposts and the little post so that the death angel would pass over their house. And this was, a ty- uh, this was typical to a point toward the cross when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come and his blood would deliver his people from their sin. And so John recognized him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And uh, uh, you remember this was also uh, foretold in the story of Isaac and Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And Isaac, uh, God told uh, Abraham to take Isaac to the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice. That would be a hard thing to do. I don't know if I could do that to a, 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 a child born into my family but God spoke to uh, Abraham, and uh, when they got there, they went up on the mountain, and uh, Isaac spoke to his father in chapter 22 and verse seven, and he said, "My father." and he said, "Here am I, my son?" And he said, "Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for burnt offering?" Uh, I began to be a little suspicious, uh, going up the mountain with the wood and the fire and no uh, sacrifice. And God said, "My son." God will, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. I'm glad that there's nothing that God required of us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said to John the Baptist, suffer it to be so. Baptize me now and uh, that it might fulfill all righteousness. There's nothing that you and I could do to make us worthy uh, to, uh, to accept the righteousness of God. God does it for his own glory And um, uh, so they went, both of them together. God provided himself a lamb. And there's nothing that you and I could do to provide a payment for our sins. That lamb has already been designated. It's the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, uh, of course, without shedding of blood is no remission. If you're not saved by the blood of the lamb, uh, you can't honestly call yourself a Christian. Christian is someone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so uh, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So we can't ever get away from the fact that Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. Now, and I I'm struggling uh, with this aging process myself, and all of us are going to struggle with it sooner or later, and I tell people when I hear them whining about their difficulties, I have plenty of difficulties. I try not to whine about them. I know I probably do sometimes, but it's one battle, and you don't want to hear this, it's one battle we're all going to lose. I don't care how much money you spend and what hospital you get to go to, the other day uh, I took my wife to the newest hospital in our county. It's brand new. It's only been open a short time, and boy, they treat us well. In fact, they tell you right up front, we're not going to even talk about money until we get her treated. I mean, they do the treatment first before they make you sign anything or where do we send the bill or who, what insurance do you have, and I thought, well, boy, that's not going to probably last very long, but it's a wonderful experience. And, uh, and, but it's, uh, the truth is that all of us are going to lose that battle Sooner or later. That's why it's so important that while we have the mental capacity and the ability to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that says over and over and over, "I love you, I love you. I want you to come to heaven and live with me," like Joseph told his father and brethren, "I, uh, uh, there's corn in Egypt. I want you to come and live with me." And they were so amazed that there was anything. They were in a land that was uh, having a famine, but because of his love for them. Like Jesus' love for us, he wants us to come and live with him. (coughs) We see another snapshot three and a half years after this when Jesus would have been about 33 and a half years old in John chapter 19 and verse 4. And this is not about the lamb. This is about the sinless one, the man. Jesus, the sinless man. You know, Jesus... uh, could not sin if he would and would not sin if he could. Now, I don't understand that. I'm not like that. I could sin and do, and when I won't sin, I do anyway sometimes. And, but Jesus would not. He was laminated, God and man, in one person, the man of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man. In John chapter 19 and verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and suddenly, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify uh, crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The truth is, there was no fault in him. Even though Pilate was a sinful man, he had enough understanding to know that they were doing an unjust deed to crucify a man who had not broken the law, who had not violated uh, any ordinance of man. He did no evil, and uh, yet uh, he allowed them to take him and crucify him. It was the uh, Jews who cried out, Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And that's why for these many years uh, they have stood in darkness. God says that blindness has happened in Israel in part even until this day and uh, but God's word says that he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It would have made no difference if Pilate had said, "Don't crucify him somehow, some way Jesus." was born to go to the cross and he was going there in spite of all of Satan's efforts to prevent that from coming to pass, Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world and we can rejoice to say that he accomplished what his father sent him into the world to do because it says in Isaiah 53.10 and I suppose this is a verse that really changed my thinking in so many ways. It says in Isaiah 53.10 yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him to put him to grief. It says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I've never understood exactly how it could please the Lord for him to die. But when the Lord looked past the cross, he saw the multitudes of people who he could never have fellowship with because of this sin-cursed world and the sin curse that was on humanity. He could never have fellowship with all the multitudes of the people, but as he looked past the cross and ignored the cry when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he turned his back on him and looked, and what he saw was the multitudes of people, you and I included,